Okay, so I'm not going to take much of everyone's time. I know that this is a big week for everyone. I know it's a tough time and no one's, you know, you're not supposed to get all together. You're going to do something for the holidays. So thank you for spending any of your time this week listening to this podcast. Maybe you're doing this while you're making cookies. Appreciate you, man. I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to um, tell you some things because I feel like if you're listening to this in the middle of Christmas week, holy shit, you really care about this. You really, really care about this business. You care about this journey. So I'm going to discuss aspects of this journey that I found very important. You should know this. I'm going to talk about two dates, two stories for you. We're going to talk about a date that was honestly eight years to the day I'm recording this, where I finally left day jobs, non-show business day jobs. This is my last day waiting tables. I want to discuss that with you all because I feel like that's a big leap for a lot of comics, and I think a lot of people who are not comedians care about that. How do you know when it's time to fucking take the leap? I'm also going to talk about the first Christmas I had in New York, the only time I have not gone home to see my family in Nevada. Why am I bringing that up? Because it was a very cold, weird process. And it was my first year in New York. And as I'm there to start this real journey, Vegas was five years of my career. And I'm proud I did it there. But it's one chapter. And the main meat, all due respect, is New York. And I couldn't go home that year. And why am I bringing it up? Because I'm not going home this year. And I'm getting the fucking feelings. And it's reminding me of what's going on of what it's about. So we're going to discuss those tonight. If it doesn't seem like something you want to do while throwing mistletoe all over the place, I don't know what you do with mistletoe. I didn't really do mistletoe in my house, but whatever. Um, Don't worry about it. We'll have another one next week. It's cool, man. I I, I want everyone to be happy. But this is what we're doing. And also, before we get going, I'm going to say this. We have a goddamn sponsor. Everyone's like, how can we help the show? Dude, I hope... If you want, you should help our, our wonderful sponsor. It is Silk City Hot Sauce. They're based in Vermont. I actually am glad our sponsor is something I like. I love hot sauce. You should know that about me. I need it with eggs and egg whites. I need it with tater tots. I'm not a ketchup person. I'll never get a ketchup sponsorship now, but whatever. Silk City Hot Sauce. Bill Matter, my grandpa mentioned before, we used to at breakfast, throw hot sauce on our eggs and stare at each other and see who would blink and put the less on. I had some rough days sometimes because I wanted to be a man to my grandpa. But I love hot sauce to this day. It is something I care about. Silk City hot sauce is not just fly-by-nights. These cats love comedy. They're like you. They watch the specials. They listen to the podcast. They love comedy. They nerd out and they love this business. So fuck yeah, Silk City. I probably shouldn't curse in the middle of this, but it's great. Go. Use the promo code Kamish. Kamish. Throw that shit in and they're going to give you 15% off and they're going to throw you a bottle, a free bottle, a cherry sriracha. So when everyone gets the vaccine and can start coming over to cookouts and you bring out that shit, because remember, that's everyone's favorite buzzword, sriracha. I got sriracha. You like sriracha? No one's going to say no, but some people are scared of it. You throw cherry in front of it, it's like a training wheels. So get them in there. All right? It's like, how do you get people to drink whiskey? You throw a little ginger ale first and a couple cherries in that shit. And five years later, just guzzling Johnny Walker like you should. God bless you. So there, Silk City. Go get them, baby. They also have maple syrups because they're in Vermont. Because it's, it's a requirement. You have a business in Vermont, you got to have maple syrup. 
You go to a zoo in, in Vermont and there's lions trying to, trying to get you some maple syrup. That's how it is. Support them because they're supporting us and this is a way to trickle down to us here at Paper House and specifically this show. Promo code, the commission, 15% off. Free bottle cherry sriracha. I'm done. This felt great as someone who grew up listening to Howard Stern and hearing him do live ads. So let's get to this episode. Are you right? Let's talk about this. It's ironic. I'm peddling food. Eight years ago was the last time I had to ask if someone wanted to upgrade from french fries to onion rings. And I will tell you this sincerely. I still have nightmares once or twice a month that I'm back waiting tables. And I have to remind myself. What is it, a lucid dream when you, can, you realize you're dreaming and you can actually make decisions? I have some of those and I remind myself, wait a minute, why am I doing this? I'm a comedian. I know I'm a comedian. And I usually wake up after that with sweat on me. Waiting at tables has, was a great job to have when you're in the, the entertainment industry, when you're trying to break in and be an artist. It is wonderful to do. A lot of the places, especially in New York City, are flexible, and they give you time. I had numerous jobs at restaurants, numerous themed restaurants, and a lot of managers in that. I don't want to say that these people have settled, but there are a lot of people probably their dream wasn't to be a restaurant manager. They never thought they'd do it, but the benefits were good, and the salary can be really great, and the money, and all this shit, and they can live pretty all right, and they make these economic decisions. A lot of them appreciate people trying to get something else and they're very flexible so shout outs to the cool managers i had at the hard rock cafe in new york city my last day job to margaritaville in las vegas to the black angus in las vegas to the rainforest cafe in las vegas thank you all part of the journey is working and supporting yourself so you can go and do this that you really want to do the way to express yourself and the day job you have to have one for a while. When do you make the leap is the question everyone asks me. When do you make the leap? Well, let me tell you, it was a, almost an accident. I had been doing stand-up for almost 12 years. I was making money. I was doing well-ish. Nothing crazy, but I was doing all right. For a whole year, I kept asking. 2012, I was like, is it time for me to go? Is it time for me to go? Now, I would get scheduled Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's it. Got to the point in the middle of the year where I was giving up shifts, switching out of shifts, showing up, leaving. I think there was a two, three-month span that maybe I did eight shifts. I was barely working. But as I've said in that advert, if you did not skip through it because I was selling something, my grandfather who raised me, who lived during the Depression, I always, I told people this, when people are like, well, wait, man, are you ever going to get a full time and, and leave your day job? I kept telling them, and I mean this, and I don't know if there's a heaven or a hell, and I don't know this, but I was brought up that there's angels and shit like that, and there's people in heaven looking at you. Do I actually believe it now? I don't know. Probably not, but whatever. But back then, I probably did. Kept saying that my grandfather's probably looking down, going, stupid, this is free money. It's not getting in the way of your work. It's extra money. So I was scared. I was goddamn scared. This is free money. Why would I want an extra two to $500 a week potentially? So I kept it. 
But I knew it was time, everybody. I was working with my dear friend Shuli. I was opening up for the Ronnie Munn block party. You're not supposed to talk about that, but it was a part of Stern history. It's kind of a race now, but it happened. And I, would, I was honored to work with the great Ronnie, the limo driver, and JD, and Scott, the engineer, was there for a time. And Sal showed up at time. It was great. Felt like Motley Crue hitting the road. It was a crazy comedy show, and Shuli brought me in, and I met some wonderful people there. Hi, Sequoia. Hi, Dan. Hi, Bruno. And I did well. Shuli needed a comic who could go out there and focus the show and give enough proper stand-up comedy before he went on there, even though people were coming to see the personalities. I would certainly a lot of those guys weren't stand-ups. And my idea, or my, my job, was to go out there and smack people in the mouth and get them ready. And that's what I did. And I did well, God bless. And they paid me well. And in November, I was told I was getting a raise. So it was really in my head at that point. In the summer, I took a leave of absence that I got paid a week for. It was like a vacation. But my plan was I wasn't going to come back. And then I... I was gone for about three weeks. I opened up for the great Ari Shafir and my boy John Toll, who's also part of the tour in Austin, Texas, at Cap City. Rest in peace, Cap City. We then drove to the West Coast where we did shows in San Diego and L.A. in theaters, and it was amazing. I felt like a rock star. And we stopped, did a show in my hometown of Vegas, and we, it was a wonderful journey to be in a fucking rape van. It looked like one of those shitty molester vans with the great John Toll, who's moving to L.A., all we had, it was a cassette deck. Do you believe this shit? A goddamn cassette deck. All we had were kiss tapes and one rush tape. Hilarious. Wasn't even the big rush tape. Felt like it was, this was the life. But when I came back, I realized it probably wasn't time. And I called. I really thought I was leaving. I told a bunch of people I wasn't coming back to that job, and I felt like my tail was between my legs. Hey, uh, I'm coming back, right? It was like that when Costanza leaves in Seinfeld, tries to get his job back, which is based on Larry David quitting and then showing up on Monday. And they let me work, but I tried to do everything to not get that job. You should know when I moved to New York, I didn't think I was going to get a day job. I thought with the other gentleman I moved with, um, Shuli was at the Stern show, and a lot of thought was, we're going to be okay. This guy I was with, was like, we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay, don't worry. So I didn't have a day job. I saved up enough. I burned through all the savings. I reluctantly got a day job, but I felt like, you know, things were going to pop off any minute. And during training, I showed up late. I tried to get fired before I ever had the job. Truth. Truth. Seven years later, I started melting down. I had two of the bosses sit at a table. I'm fucking up orders. I melted down. Later that day, I went split checks for some really shitty people from Ohio. Almost got fired there. I was trying to get fired. My body knew it was time to go, and I couldn't pull the trigger. And now it got to the point. I got the raise with the Stern Show, with the block party. I was starting to get more work at clubs. <sighs> Booked a flight to go home for the holidays like I always did, and they were, they're supposed to give you two of the four holidays off. Thanksgiving, they weren't open on Christmas, so Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Supposed to get two of those. 
you put in, they usually, you'd rank and order what you wanted off, you usually got one and two. And if you showed a ticket that you were going home, you're good. And every year but one, and we'll talk about that in a minute, I had gone home. My grandma was still alive and she was getting older. My mom was there. I wanted to go see my family. It was a big thing to go home and see people, especially since my first year in New York, I didn't go back. And I promised myself I would go back as much as I could to see these people. And this guy, this new manager who was w- way younger than me for somehow, and who was running the servers, said, no, this ain't happening. We need you. It's like, I, I got a ticket already. It's like, no, I'm sorry, bro. It, it's just a request. I had an audition on a Friday. I didn't get many of them. My then manager got me that. And it went well. I obviously didn't get the part. But here's what it was. It was three blocks from where I was working. And I walked out. They weren't going to let me go see my family. And to me, this audition was a sign. The raise was a sign. I walked those blocks, went in, grabbed a piece of paper in the office, said two weeks from today will be my last day. Now, the irony was that Wednesday, or sorry, that Thursday I was leaving, my plane ticket was for that day. So basically, they could have scheduled me that last week, and basically I'd be in violation. But whatever, I told them I was leaving the company, and I was leaving the state to go home. They could technically fire me or whatever. When I showed up, the assistant GM came up to me. I didn't know if people were going to be angry because what I was doing technically was kind of shady. And he goes, I heard. He goes, is it true? I go, yep. He goes, it's time. Good luck. It meant the world to me. The GM came up to me who saw me melt down that day. He goes, man, if it doesn't work out, you always have a job here. Here I was trying to get fired and just was done. My attitude sucked there. I wasn't getting along with the new hires. It's time to go. People sensed it. It is nice in this business. You will have people who treat you like the friends in Goodwill Hunting. They want you to go at some fucking point. They love you. They love your work. They love being around you. But it gets to the point when they come to pick you up to go play basketball. They hope they knock on the door and you're not there. And that's what it felt like. I went back. My uncle was bragging to people, this boy doesn't have a goddamn job anymore than a comedy. I remember him telling my mom that she got so happy because I didn't really tell her that anything. This was the last time I ever saw my mother alive. Everything happens for a reason, everybody. These signs were on the wall for me to leave the working week and to only do stand-up. And because I did that, because they pushed me away, I got to see my mom one last time. And I wasn't, I'm not going to pretend that we were the tightest, especially we weren't then. But I am so glad I've never looked back and regretted leaving that job. You should also know this. I did the math several times. And I went back And I, in my iPhone, in my calendar, I put 
my gigs and usually how much I'm getting paid. And I did the math. And for a year straight, I basically did what I figured I needed to live. I'll be honest with you. My nut initially was 2000 a month, which isn't much to live on in New York City. But with my rent at the time, with everything else, I'm like, 2000 works. And I look back, and I saw all but two months, I did at least 2000 And two of those were like 1800-ish. And I go, this is it. And I had just enough put away, nothing great, where if shit went wrong, I could pay a month or two in advance of my bills. I'd be okay. It'd be scary. And I did it. And it felt wonderful. And I would stay up to 4 or 6 in the morning and wake up at 2 p.m. like a bum. I think a lot of people do that when they, they leave the day job and it feels like you're finally a comedian. That's good for a while, and then eventually you hope to have something during the day. And months later, things got weird. The tour got canceled. Another tour we tried to get going didn't catch on. I'm, plowing, I'm doing fair, but not great. And you're like, oh my God, am I going to need a job? And then a blessing, another amazing thing happens. I get offered to do warm-up. Years of people saying you should do warm-up, go do warm-up. And I never got offered it. And I did this time. Crowd goes wild on FS1 with Regis Film and the great Michael Costa and Katie Nolan and all these wonderful people. Here's why it was important that I didn't have a day job then. I didn't get hired straight up. I tried out for weeks. I got rotated with another person. Without a concrete yes, I probably couldn't have... With If I still had... Oh, my God, I can't even speak. I'm getting emotional. If I still had the day job, I couldn't have just said yes to this. My ass would have been waiting tables because I couldn't risk on a maybe probably. And I would have missed this opportunity. It ended up being my job full time for a minute. And it was wonderful. It trained me to do something that has put money in my pocket and that I've found a way to express myself at for years now. God damn, I was lucky that I listened to Destiny. I have a tattoo on my arm, Amor Fati. It is Latin for the love of fate. Yes, we have free will. Yes, you have to make decisions, but just trust them. Know that that decision you made was a decision you were supposed to make. And if it goes bad, you learn from it. And that leads to your next decision, Amor Fati. Now, does this help the rest of you who struggle with this? Everyone is different. I've had several people ask me over the years and get my opinion on making the, as people call it, the leap. And I've heard people's logic, and it didn't seem logical. Well, I figure if I don't go now, when am I ever going to go? How am I going to make that next leap if I don't give everything I'm going? And I always ask, how many nights a week are you getting out? Five to seven. Cool. Is that going to change if you don't have a day job? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm just I'm still going to do those days. Maybe one extra. Cool, one extra out of five to seven. All right, well, there's not eight days in a week. If you quit your job right now with what you're getting booked as a comic, is that enough to pay your bills? No, but I'm sure I'll get more. Sure you'll get more. There's no fucking guarantee. Yeah, sure you're going to get more eventually. How the fuck are you going to eat? No one just starts handing you money when they find out you're only doing stand-up. I knew people with good jobs, union jobs, who were like, 
I just think this is going to push me. And I've seen them go back to fucking jobs, and I've seen these people leave the goddamn business. Don't rush. Once again, be in a hurry, but don't rush. You'll know when it's right. And also, there's no shame in going back. Know that. There's no shame. But don't push yourself just so you can go and tell everyone, I don't do anything else but this. Who gives a fuck? I know a lot of great comics who have done TV, and the next day they have a day job. They had to go and go, would you like a size 9.5 or 10? What fits better for you on television the night before? It's all part of the journey. This is a great goal to have. It's the first goal. I, sometimes I think it's the only goal. I, never, I don't give a shit about everything else. I just want to make a living doing this and expressing myself and doing things similar like a podcast and warm-up and maybe some acting, whatever, on camera. This has been, I, I don't like to use this term. I'm not a religious person, and I think people use this weirdly and wrongly. But it's been a blessing that I can earn a living doing this, and not a lot of people have. And I take a lot of pride, and that's one of the reasons why this podcast exists. Because I care about this business. I care about the people who work at this and do this because it's all they can and all they want to do. And also, it's because they have to. Because it's the only way we live. I can't go back and wait tables. I wouldn't know how to fucking do it. I sit at a table and I see someone run a four top and three other tables and I go, is this magic? And I used to be good at it. I used to joke, I'm one of the top 100 servers of all time. What a fucking dummy I am. But I used to be good. But I couldn't do it anymore. Everything led to this. So you'll know when it's time. Just like everything else, you get to it. You get most of the things in this business after you've been ready for it. I really do think it. I saw it when I lived with, I, I feel like this isn't talking out of school. When I lived with Mike Vecchione, he was so goddamn good. He didn't get JFL the first year I lived with him. I go, you got it next year. I know you want it now and you're ready for it now, but you'll get it next year. I think he didn't get a TV spot. He didn't win a contest. He got all those things the next year. Everyone realized they fucked up and didn't give it to him the time. I'm not saying JFL f- fucked up, but whatever. He was ready. You get things after you're ready, mostly. Some people get it before they're ready, and a lot of those people struggle to get to where they need to in this industry. Everyone's so jealous of the people who get things early. You should almost feel bad for them, because most of them are going to get hit in the mouth and have to learn how to do things over again. I've seen it too many times. When you go full-time on this, you probably could have been full-time a year or two before. Make sure it's the right time. Now, I've seen people take the leap of faith and struggle for years. I don't know if they go back and do it. Some of them probably have no regrets. That it, part of it was that struggle, but it got hairy at times where they couldn't pay shit. They couldn't do this. They couldn't pay rent. They couldn't pay a bill. They had to borrow money. They couldn't go out to eat at a diner after a gig or drink. Now, if you're willing to do that, that's you. And that's part of some people's journey. My suggestion is make sure it looks like you consistently make enough. It doesn't have to be great. Some people quit their day job when they get a great paycheck, when they are a regular on a series or a writing gig or a warm-up full-time or whatever. 
I almost think it's better to go and struggle. Doesn't mean start doing it when you only make 800 a goddamn month, it looks like, and stand up, and your rent's 900 What the fuck are we doing? I don't want to sound like a dad, but whatever. Go do your homework, bitch. Eat your vegetables, motherfucker. Be smart about this. This is still your life. And also, do you want to put a burden on everyone else, your roommates, your family? I didn't want to ask for shit. Doesn't mean I'm better than anyone, but that's how the fuck I was raised. By an immigrant grandmother and a first generation on one side, depression-born American than my grandfather. You're going to have to fight for a lot of this shit. That was my grandfather dinging me. Good job, boy. Now shut the fuck up and get to the next story. You're right, Papa. My first year in New York was 2006. And because I had started this day job, I didn't get the job till September-ish. Got done with training in October. I mean, I was leaving to go back to Vegas for like a bachelor party and shit. It's almost like I didn't want this job. And as I said, I was trying to get fired. Didn't start really working till October. There was no way they were letting me go home. Everyone I was living with, I had two roommates at the time. They went home. I had the apartment to myself. Couldn't go home. Couldn't see my family. Hadn't seen them that year. Saw my mom for a second when I went to the bachelor party to surprise. My grandparents were back in Rochester visiting people. Couldn't go home. I didn't think I was going to care, but I got it sad. And I worked Christmas Eve at the Hard Rock. And I walked for hours. I was trying to find Chinese food that night. Something to make me feel good. Some comfort food. Also went and had a couple beers with my friend Scott. Hello, Hogwild. But Scott, who's a comic... He heard that there might be a, there could be some mic going on, or Sal's comedy hole was going to throw everyone up for some show, and he's waiting to find out. He's like, don't worry, man, we'll get you up. That meant the world to me. I was alone, but I had a buddy. I had a fellow comic. All these years, I wanted to be a New York comic, and here I am having a drink in the Lower East Side. I'm broke dick dog, but I'm having a drink. I made like 40 bucks on this shift. I'm just going to be alone for the next 30 hours, nothing to do on Christmas, families together, probably crying that I'm not there. But man, I was walking around New York City that night, and there was a chance I was going to do a show. The show did not happen, but the show, the potential idea of the show made me feel like this was worth it. And suffering that night and getting sad the next day and eating two pounds of Chinese food like a fat fuck on Christmas Day and watching the Jets game. It wasn't ideal, and I got sad and I cried at times. And I talked to my grandma, and she cried, and it was part of this journey, everybody. 
At times you're going to have to sacrifice. I will probably mention this many more times on this podcast, but it's something you should know. And if you're not a comic, this is something you should know as well about your heroes and the people who entertain you. There are sacrifices, like waking up at 9 in the morning to do a day job to then go and do two open mics and then go do a, a spot or two and then make an appearance at a couple other clubs between 10 and midnight before you have to drag your ass back to sleep to repeat it tomorrow. A couple other clubs so they know you exist so you can get work there eventually. There's, that's a sacrifice. I have missed so many funerals and weddings and graduations. And this was the first of it. And it fucking sucked. And I miss it. I made a promise to be a human. You have to make sacrifices, but at one point you have to sacrifice your sacrifices. Let's pause on that. It might not sound like it makes sense, but it does. Sometimes you have to sacrifice your sacrifices and be a human and go see your family and live life because if you're not living life, you have nothing to really say on stage. You're just talking about being a comedian, which is fucking boring. It's like when your favorite musicians just talk about being stars in their songs. Who gives a shit? But that year, it was the right thing. Amor Fati, the love of fate. My fate was I was not going home. And I never wanted to feel that again. But it reminded me of why I went there. I left a middle-class job. I was a union waiter in Las Vegas, which that matters a lot. The culinary union is making, I can't remember, 12 or 15 an hour, plus tips at Margaritaville's doing great. Single, making cash, baby. My insurance was 12 bucks a month, and it was great insurance. And it wasn't enough, because I knew if I stayed doing that, maybe I'd be a manager, maybe I'd be in the union 20, 25 years and get a pension, but I probably wouldn't get to that because I would have killed myself. And here I was depressed, but I knew it was not the same depression it would have been if I would have stayed in Las Vegas and doing that without getting on stage every night or close to every night like I was in New York and working with good comedians in the future of this industry and people that I saw on television. I knew that completed me. And so it was worth spending Christmas alone with some sesame fucking chicken. And I miss my family and a lot of those people who wanted me there that, that year aren't with us anymore and it stings that I missed a Christmas. But this was my journey and my path and the only thing that completes me. And that was a sacrifice I had to do. And I knew that that moment that there was going to be more dark nights and things weren't going great for me fully in comedy. I wasn't getting up when I needed to. But I knew that if I could get through that night, that this is what it was about. And then eight years later, seven years later, I was home, baby. It was a long journey. There were sad nights and sad months, and there were struggles, and teeth figuratively getting knocked out, and lonely nights and missing beautiful moments of my friends and family back in Vegas and some of my friends and family in New York. I made these sacrifices. It wasn't perfect, but I did it because this is what my journey is and who I am. And this isn't living a dream. I'm done with that. My dream was to play for the Yankees or the Celtics or to be the fourth Beastie Boy. I'm a comic. I knew it was the only way I could be happy. This is what it is. And I hope if you're listening to this and you're questioning what you're doing, 
If what I'm saying doesn't give you the chills and makes you want to go do this, not that I'm anyone, but if me telling you this story and this passion, if you're like, I don't think I could do it, then you shouldn't fucking do it. Someone, a great listener, a member of the commission, reached out to me, DM'd me, and was like, hey, I don't know, should I do this? I feel like with this pandemic, I'm not getting up as much as I need to. And when things start going on, I'll be behind the eight ball. And I go, hey, man, what else were you going to do? And I told him to go look up Charles Bukowski's So You Want to Be a Writer. It's a beautiful poem. Read that, and if you don't want to come back and do this, then guess what? It wasn't meant to fucking be. So I want to tell you that. Read that poem. And if that doesn't make you think that it's okay to sacrifice things, then then this isn't for you and it's okay. One dream, one wish, one peace of mind. A podcast hosted by Nico White about One Piece by Acherio Oda on Paper House Network. We'll see you every Monday. And I hope I don't sound self-righteous. I'm not trying to tell you I'm better than you. I'm not. All I'm telling you is that this hasn't been a perfect journey, but it's been my journey, and I'm proud of it. And you need to know that this is part of it. You will be alone a lot. You'll be alone in hotels. You're going to miss holidays. I didn't do a Thanksgiving with my family. Oh, my God. Until a few years ago, my aunt and uncle would show up in New York. It was beautiful. They obviously couldn't this year because of the pandemic. I hope I have at least a few more with them starting next year. I've had one Easter with family last year when I had a job in L.A. in dark the weekend of Easter, so I just flew to Vegas and spent it with my family. It's beautiful. And it's sad that I didn't get to have that. But this is the route that I've chosen, a route that has chosen me. You are born to do this or you're not. Some people dabble. It is an honor to be a comic. I'm sad I'm not going home this year, but it's the pandemic. I will probably be in PA, and I'll be doing shows before and after, still be working. It still comes back to this, this art form. At least I have that. You should know this with a lot of your heroes. And I know a lot of comics, we just did an episode of people being miserable and all that. There is a sadness to a lot of us. I can't deny it. But I know from talking to a million of our peers, this is what completes a lot of us. This is the moments of the day where we feel alive and happy. It's no substitute for a family. But the crowd becomes your family. Your jokes become your family. Your peers become the family. The staff becomes your family. I'm so glad I had that year alone. It made me appreciate my family. It made me appreciate my comedy family and this journey. And, and told me that I did make the right decision and this is what I was supposed to do. God damn it, man. A lot of emotions. I wish I was going home this week. But it makes me appreciate all the times I went. And it makes me appreciate that there still is a little bit of comedy out there and I'm allowed to do it.
to express myself. So I hope you all in this year, when things when the vaccine gets spread out and people can go out, I have a feeling there will be a lot of work eventually. It might not be initially, but it's going to happen. And I hope you get so much fucking work that the decision comes to you if you aren't already a comic full-time that you can. And think about it and think about is it the right time and are you going to be able to pay your bills? Don't rush it. Don't do it just so say you are. Do it because it is the time. And don't do it just because you're super comfortable and you've made enough. Unless that's what you need to be. It is your journey. You pick how you have to do it. You'll know when it's time. And remember, you can always come back. This whole year has been a sacrifice for everyone. A lot of you have barely seen anyone you love, and a lot of you haven't been able to perform, and I'm sorry. I hope I'm not rubbing nose and shit that I've worked, and I feel very fortunate that I have. This has been a sacrifice, and I know a lot of you are thinking, are you going to go back to doing comedy when it opens? That's up to you. But remember, this has been a sacrifice for hopefully some greater moments ahead. More shows, more work, more opportunity, TV gigs, writing gigs. Opportunities through your podcast and through your goddamn videos. This has all been a sacrifice to build to something else. This was unfortunately supposed to happen. So don't look back in anger. I could have looked back in anger not going home that Christmas, but I accepted it as that was my destiny and I have to move forward to make other choices. And you all and I am right now making choices based on this horrible year. It is a setup for what is next and I'm excited about what is next for myself. I'm excited about what is next for all of you out there. Know that this is your journey. Embrace this journey, warts and all, up and down. Hope you all, if you haven't made the quote-unquote leap yet, I hope you get to soon. It's a beautiful moment, and it's also a moment that's beautiful that will get scary soon after you make it, and you will be questioning it a lot, and you will go to bed going, oh my God, was this the right move? And just so you know, it's okay that you say that. It means you're aware. It means you're being in tune with shit. Self-awareness is the most important thing in this journey. I've said it too many times. I'm going to say it too many more. Good. Have some uncertainty. But I guarantee if you're meant for this, after you question it, you'll go to bed going, fuck yeah, what else do I have to lose? This is beautiful, and this is all I have. I hope you can enjoy this as much as I have. And I hope you get to make that leap. And I also hope you get to see all the people you love as much as you can. Happy holidays, everybody. I hope this was all right for you. It felt great to tell you this. If it was self-serving, whatever. Fucking sometimes I serve the self. Commissionercomedy at gmail.com is where you should suggest show ideas. You should ask me questions. You can tell me to go fuck myself. Whatever you want. Do it. Support everyone at Paper House. Support our wonderful sponsors. Support them. It's awesome, man. 
Go get yourself some hot sauce. Go get yourself some maple syrup from Vermont. Where else are you going to get it? Florida? Fuck them. They ain't making no maple syrup, baby. Please like this goddamn show. Give us some good reviews and some good comments. And subscribe if you haven't. And spread the word, man, because we're going to build. Any ideas for bonus content, please give it. We're going to do it, man. We're going to do some shit, man. Go on Spotify if you don't have 10 bucks to buy my album, No Segways. Go to Spotify and just listen a bunch to No Segways. It'd be nice of you. Thank you. Take care of yourselves. Spread as much love as possible. Know that things are going to be all right. Amor fati, the love of fate. Trust your gut. Trust it. And go read Charles Bukowski's So You Want to Be a Writer. And tell me. Reach out to me. Tell me how it moved you. Love you all. Be safe this holiday. Don't get arrogant because the vaccine's coming. (laughs) We've still got a little bit more in the woods, but we're getting there. Be safe. Be smart. Spread love. We'll talk to you soon. Ho, ho, ho. I hope your Hanukkah was good, and I hope your New Year's good. Everything for a reason, baby. Everything for a reason.